Welcome to Playgrounding, a podcast, blog, and YouTube channel all designed to help you learn to love yourself, own your thoughts, and have some fun. Hello and welcome to Playgrounding. I'm your host, Kara Stewart-Fortier. This week, I'm going to make the case for slack that even the most productive among us hopefully won't be able to argue with. Then on recess, we'll hear about how an online community became an offline chosen family. Then we'll finish up with the last two steps of meditation with rain on The Real Right Now, where we'll learn about how we can investigate what our emotions might be telling us about limiting beliefs that are holding us back, and how we can learn to nurture ourselves and become our own best friend. All right, on with the show. So for a few months last year, I worked at the Los Angeles Public Library at, as a substitute book checker outer person. Um, it was a lot of fun. I love libraries. And this little job gave me the opportunity to explore lots of different branches. And there were some really cool ones in LA. I met other bookworms. And the best part was that I got to read on the job. And one of the other things I got out of this job was a lot of new acquaintances. Now, I didn't really work with anyone in particular. I got to know people at the different branches long enough to have them hand off the front desk to me so they could go about their business, which led to a lot of introductory small talk. So these interactions became very informative for me when it came to conversations about play and playgrounding, because we did a lot of, what's your name, what do you do? And when I was asked what I do, I'd say that I'm a freelance writer and that I have a podcast on the power of play. I always got a big smile, like, you know, that's so great for you, you know, and, but rarely did I get that spark that says, oh, well, that's cool. That's something I'd be interested in. And uh, uh, didn't feel all that great. Um, but sometimes the children's librarians would get kind of excited. Then I'd clarify that, well, actually, the focus is on play for adults. And then comes the quizzical look. <laughs> and uh, one day I met a man who was also a writer, so we totally hit it off immediately. But his quizzical look came with a refreshingly honest turn in the conversation. He said something kind of like this. He said, but I'm a grown up. I don't have time for play. I have children. I have a job. I have bills to pay. Focusing on playing more isn't something I'd be really drawn into reading. Now, first of all, before you think he's a jerk, I love when you get together with other writers. He knew this wouldn't hurt my feelings. He knew he was helping me and he was absolutely right. He basically saved playgrounding. Um, <laughs> that night, I went back to zero. I packed up my previous work and I set it aside and I thought, okay, how do I do this? I put myself in that man's shoes. Now, I don't have children, so that's a huge aspect that I will never understand, but the rest of it, I could. Now, whatever your political persuasion, this economy has been getting, it's been going well, but it hasn't necessarily been getting a lot easier for working people, in a place, especially in places like Los Angeles. Um, it's a little bit difficult to get by. Neighborhoods where families could afford to live for you know generations are getting more and more difficult. They're gentrifying, and it's a lot more stressful for people like my new acquaintance at the library. Um, 
So if my job is to convince my listeners of my thesis, which is that play is vitally important to our overall health as human beings and that it's important as sleep and that kind of thing. But my audience of people, the ones that I really want to reach are people who need play the most. So they're burned out, stressed, overwork, and maybe a little miserable. Those are the very people would have the same reaction as that man. And I totally get it. And that's a big problem for me as somebody trying to reach people with this message. So I started collecting definitions of play. I'm like, let's go back to the drawing board. I'm a writer. I love words. Let's figure this out. So I looked them all up. I looked a lot of, I got a really great, big, awesome dictionary. And One of the things I love the most about play is the wide variety of ways you can define it. And in some ways, it's really hard to define in, well, in every way. It defies definition, even description. As one of my favorite writers, Matthias Paulsen from Denmark, he so beautifully wrote about in that recent article I talked about last episode about comparing play to love. But then I found this definition. It said play. The space in or through which a mechanism can or does move. Synonyms being things like movement, freedom, um, freedom of movement, freedom of motion, slack, give. I really like this. And the second part of this same definition is scope or freedom to act or operate. Um, Synonyms like range, latitude, liberty, license, freedom, indulgence, free reign, release. I mean, what a cool, cool part of the definition for play. And it actually works. Um, Like there's a little play in the rope. Um, We've given, we were, here's another use in a sentence. We enable people to give full play to their energy and abilities, meaning they have room to use their, their abilities. Now I'm not mechanically inclined, but I had an idea in my head after reading this definition, and it made me think of a bike chain, Um, (laughs) because it's this mechanism that should be tight enough, but not too tight. So I googled bike chain too tight, just, you know, I wanted to see, is that real? Or am I just imagining it in my head? Um, And I found a forum where a man posted a picture of his bike. And he said, Hey, guys, is this chain too tight? Um, And there was a little link to a JPEG. And then I see this response. It was my favorite. He said, Yes, I can't see any slack. You're just looking at increased wear and decreased efficiency. If you don't mind chains snapping on you while you're bombing hills, you'll be fine. He got it exactly right. This is exactly what happens when we don't have play, when we don't have room to move. Um, It wouldn't be nice to have your chain snap while you're going down a hill quickly on a bicycle. So this brought me back to the definition, the space in or through which a mechanism can or does move. That's us. That's what we need. We need play. We need slack. We need freedom of movement. We need give. But we're wound so tight, it's only a matter of time. We're going to snap. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but it could be anything. It could be angry outbursts. It could be, you know, having a few extra glasses of wine than usual that leads to more next time and more next time. It could be snapping at your kids or your significant other. It could be that you just don't have anything left. Your creativity is depleted and what fueled you to do a great job or whatever it is you do, it just, it's gone and you don't know how to get it back. Snap. The chain's too tight. You need some play. 
You need some give. Now, I've, I've never seen that man from the library again. That's just one of the hazards of being a sub. Um, but I thought about him a lot. He has a job. He has bills to pay, a family to raise. But can he or any of us afford not to make slack and give a priority in our lives? But really, what we should be calling it is play. And what we need to give ourselves permission to call it is play. But how do I make the case to a busy person with burdens and responsibilities that he or she should build play back into their lives? Well, I don't know about how you feel about science, but I really like it, so I thought maybe we could start there. So Dr. Stuart Brown, in his book, Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul, he talks about how play gives animals an evolutionary advantage, and guess what? We're animals too. Um, but animals prioritize play even when it seems they really shouldn't. Here's a reading from his book. One of the hallmarks of play is that it appears purposeless, but the pervasiveness of play throughout nature argues that the activity must have some purpose after all. Animals don't have much leeway for wasteful behaviors. Most live in demanding environments in which they have to compete to find food, compete with other species, and compete to mate successfully. Why would they waste time and energy in non-productive activity like play? As a scientist, I know that a behavior this pervasive throughout human culture and across the evolutionary spectrum most likely has a survival value. Otherwise, it would have been eliminated through natural selection. Then Dr. Brown describes a study of Alaskan grizzlies by a man he colorfully described as a maverick scholar named Bob Fagan, who had meticulously compiled the world's knowledge of animal play from aardvarks to zoonotrichia. I guess that's sparrows, but sparrows doesn't start with a Z, so, you know, anyway. Here is what Mr. Fagan found. They found that bears that played the most were the ones who survived the best. This is true despite the fact that playing takes away time, attention, and energy from activities like eating, which seem at first glance to contribute more to the bear's survival. Hmm, what this told me is that we might think we're helping ourselves when we push ourselves to the limits all the time, but we're also living in a demanding environment. So why wouldn't we? Just like those animals Mr. Fagan studied, we're competing. Not for food. Well, yes, for food. For salaries, we're competing for mates. We still do all of those things. And to make things worse, instead of playing like those smart animals do, we're learning more productivity hacks to help us fit more work into an already crowded day. We're so exhausted, but our minds won't stop churning. The only shutoff valves we know work are the ones that numb us and hurt our physical and mental health. So the only thing that can keep us from snapping is freedom to move or operate slack. And we can't add more hours to the day, so I guess that means the only choice is to figure out how to give yourself that gift, the freedom, the liberty that you need to keep going. Do I need to add any more play synonyms into this sentence? It's just that the word play brings to mind 
frivolity. It's like it's silly to play when there's work to be done. Um, and no one wants to be known as a slacker. But we need slack. It's like we've completely, it's like we've demonized the entire concept. But mechanically, it's necessary. It's also necessary biologically. We need to find that place where everything's tight enough for the bike chain to do its job, but not so tight that it snaps when we need it the most, when we're going quickly down the hill, when we're needing to be at the top of our game the most. You know, it's Murphy's Law. Those are always the moments when the consequences are higher, and they're the moments when snapping is most likely to happen. Um, you get what I'm saying, right? I mean, I remember going down hills very, very quickly. There was a cul-de-sac in my neighborhood, and my friend Melissa and I would get together and ride our bikes down this hill as fast as we could. She was Ponch, and I was John, and we did like this little thing at the end. Yeah, it kind of like to imitate the Los Angeles freeway. Um, anyway, we were in, yeah, we were kids. But I know that if that bike chain had snapped while I was going down that hill, I might not be here today because we didn't wear helmets back then. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Play. It's part of who we are as humans but we somehow think we can edge it out and be more productive. <laughs> kind, of, kind of like how I think we've thought about sleep over time. We think we can beat it, that we don't need it. Um, you know, those people that come into the office and they're like, yeah, I got like three hours of sleep last night, but you know, I was working on the presentation. What were you doing? Um, I remember those days. Um, but no, we can't beat sleep. We can't just take Red Bull and keep going. Our bodies just don't work like that. And I feel like that message is really getting out there. There are a lot of great books out right now. It's really prevalent in the health market. But I really want that for play. We really, really need to understand that we have to give ourselves give. We have to give ourselves room to, for our mechanisms to move. Our brains don't work under that kind of pressure. We need sleep and we need play. And just like with sleep, when we don't play, our brains don't work right. Now, Dr. Stuart Brown talks a lot about this in his book. And one of my favorite quotes is, when we stop playing, we stop developing. And when that happens, the law of entropy takes over. Things fall apart. And if you've ever experienced what it's like to snap, as I have, you may have seen a doctor or a therapist who told you you need to take time for some enjoyable or pleasurable activities. And I just really wish that they would just say, you really need to take some time to get out there and play. Um, and what I didn't have over a year ago when talking to that man at the library was a real understanding of what it means to snap. I knew play was important, but I hadn't figured it out for myself yet. I didn't trust myself. I didn't love myself enough to even really begin. So I kept pushing and tightening and the inevitable happened. But I do play now and I know it works. I have, I have drunk my own Kool-Aid and I actually really believe in it now more than I ever did before. Um, but it's definitely a challenge. It's definitely a challenge to convince yourself. It took me so long and I wanted it. Um, so if you're a workaholic, if you stay late, if you're a, if you're, if your Protestant work ethic is just over the top, like so many of us are, um, I get it. I get it. Um, and I'm going to keep trying to pound it into your head and I'm still going to keep trying to like say it in as many creative ways as I can, showing you as many people as I can, um, and what they're doing. But I can't define play for you. I can't teach you how to play. It's not a productivity hack. It's not as easy as just putting something on your calendar. It's not exactly easy, 
it kind of requires that we get to know ourselves a little bit and learn what really lights us up. But once we do let go and discover the depths of where play can take us, it will start transforming us in the same way that getting a full night's sleep every night will transform you. If you haven't been doing that and you try it, oh my goodness, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I started to become a very different person when I started sleeping. <laughs> oh my goodness, like really sleeping. Um, totally another subject. But I can't teach you how to play. But what I will do is encourage you to start accepting that part of yourself that wants and needs to play. Maybe, you know, say hello to that part of yourself if you haven't seen it for a while or thought about it. Um, and I can also introduce you to the tools and concepts that can help you get to know, accept, and fall in love with yourself. And not just the part that's driven to achieve. Because um, for a really long time, that was pretty much the only part of myself that I let out. Um, prioritizing play and releasing yourself to it won't make you a slacker. And maybe you believe that if you do let go, you'll never be in control again. I totally get that too. But if you keep telling yourself just to hold on and push, push, push just a little bit harder, trust me, you need some give. You need to make some time to play if that is you. Um, you'll be amazed what can happen if you just learn to let go and cut yourself some slack. Did I convince you yet? And that's the bell. Pencils down. It's time for recess. This is time that belongs to you. It's time to talk about fun things we burned out adults can do and why finding a playful community is so important. This week, meet Becca. She found lifelong friendships through an online community of like-minded people. Here she is. We met through friends we met because of the Reddit community. And so people oh. don't think of Reddit as like traditional social media because it's not. It's more of a news aggregate. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like you filter for your own interests and things like that. Yeah. But Reno being its own strange little micro microcosm of the world mm -hmm. has a really active subreddit for being a small town. Hmm. Um, Reno sparks combined is like 350,000 people. And, uh, for some reason, a lot of people go through Reno mm -hmm. at some point in their life. Like everybody <laughs> knows or has been to Reno. Yep. So we ended up with, uh, this, subreddit with a lot of socially active folks who were pretty outgoing saying, Hey, you know what, why not on Friday nights, let's all meet at X local drinking hole and play card games. And, uh, Brandon, I think got inv involved in like 2010. I got involved in 2011. <laughs> we didn't even actually meet each other at that time, but like we met all these people who once a week on Friday nights would get together at this place called craft, which was, a new place to Reno, it was kind of like part liquor store, bottle shop, part bar, mm -hmm. which was a new concept to our area. Mm -hmm. And super casual, like people could bring dogs, people brought kids because it wasn't smoke filled. It wasn't like bar ish. It yeah. was a meeting place. Mm -hmm. And we would bring Cards Against Humanity. Mm -hmm. And if you ever want to get to know someone really quick, you play Cards <laughs> Against Humanity. Yep. That's very true. <laughs> oh, wow. And and, you know, obviously we're all people from the internet. Mm -hmm. And, um, so generally we're going to have a, a, 
a comfort level of technology just to begin with. Mm-hmm. So we did end up with plenty of folks who were in, uh, into video games or board games or that sort of stuff, but that wasn't necessarily what brought us all together. Mm-hmm. What brought us together was this interest in pursuit of being with people, other people, and having fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we started uh, local bar trivia, and it sounds like all of it was around drinking, but really it was all just about play. We oh would go gosh. to trivia nights at bars. Uh-huh. They're just um, a great convenient place to be able to place things like that. <laughs> well, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's Reno. Mm-hmm. Bars are 24-7. Most oh, yeah. of them have food. They have Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. You can sit there for a really long period of time. Like, restaurants aren't really conducive to that. No, not at all. Uh-huh. But we... Um, do uh, you know seasonal things together too like we'd get everyone to go to the aces ball game in a big group and it it did end up boiling down to kind of like a core group of about 20 or so people who would in and out and pop up together and go to things Mm -hmm. where we weren't just going to bars we were you know we're taking each other to burning man like i brought some of these folks in different years to come come join us at burning man Or we were part of each other's weddings, or we'd go (laughs) ice skating in big groups. And you never would have met them if it weren't for this Reddit community that you turned into an offline thing. That's really cool. (laughs) Exactly. Wow. And it's ended up being very fun because it's, because, you know, little groups break out within it, but there's never any sort of like, it it doesn't feel super clicky. Yeah. Um, We invited all of these folks to our, our, almost all of them to our wedding and, They came to our going away party. We went to their weddings. Even now, like as we've left, we've introduced, uh, because Brandon and I are basically golden retrievers. We love everybody. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) We've done these things like we introduce our friends from different social circles to each other and then like get, have this great fortune of being able to watch like these friendships that spawned through those sort of interactions or events at our house. How would you go about like telling someone, I mean, maybe they have a community like this and maybe no one's instigated something like this. Like how does this even get started? So for me, my first looking into it was, uh, Reddit does or facilitates or encourages people to facilitate a a thing called global Reddit meetup day. Cool. And the part about that, that's really fun is, uh, because Reddit itself um, as an organization, which, you know, for better or for worse, whether people get their news from good places or bad, (laughs) Reddit itself has kind of uh, taken on this role of wanting to connect people with like interests, whatever those interests may be. Mm -hmm. And so they make a big point of being like global meetup day. And it's the same day every year for everybody. And they make a big scene about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it helps break the ice to the idea of oh, this isn't weird to meet people you haven't met before. This isn't weird to go out and connect with these folks in person from the internet. Because there's still that, like considering the number of people today who are in relationships because of the internet, Mm -hmm. the fact that there's this huge stigma of like, oh, these are people I met from the internet is kind of hilariously contradictory. (laughs) So that was a, that's a really nice icebreaker, say for someone who is not seeing or maybe even in their own position, they're just not maybe super comfortable with just being like, hey, I'm that person from the internet. Let's go hang out. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that helps. But but the communities exist in a lot of different areas. Um, mm-hmm. Even actually through these groups of friends I made with the Reddit group, mm-hmm. there's a group called um, Geek Girl Brunch. And it's like a, 
don't know if I would call it a franchise. It's this global movement of getting women who are into geeky things together once a month to have brunch together. And they have like chapters. It's kind of like Girl Scouts. Cool. I started going to some of those and that was like, I came into this digital community that backs off to real life because of real life connections. My friends that I'd met through Reddit were the local chapters facilitators who arranged the meetings. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of find this movement of connecting through like interests into offline communication in virtually every format. Cool. Uh, you have my husband and I being big geeks, we're gamers as well. <laughs> uh, like 2013, there was a group trying to put together a guild to play WoW casually and mm-hmm. goof off. <laughs> and because I don't want my video games to be, you know, homework. I've already got enough work in my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, we joined this group of people and it was like, from all over the world, all really? over the U.S., all over the world. And since then, four years now, mm-hmm. like there's a core group of these folks who we connect with them to play video games. We connect through online social you know, media and things like this. But now like we're starting to move into our non-gaming only because gaming is a safe space where people have like false names or avatars that mm-hmm. they represent. Yeah. So there's always that people get nervous about moving it into uh into real world, even just, you know, even just real work communication, you don't let them know your Facebook name, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so last year, um, we did a secret Santa gift exchange. Oh, cool. So then you start, because you start to just kind of bridge comfort levels Mm -hmm. and open it up more. Uh, so the guild we're part of has been together since for 10 plus years. So some of these folks have been, and they go to, they get once a year, they meet up together places and rent a house and wow. like, do all this stuff. Um, oh my God. We haven't been able to make it because this year when they did it, I was too pregnant and it was right around Burning Man. I was like, yeah, I can't do both. <laughs> um, wow. Oh my God. <laughs> I think this next year they're doing it in the spring in Texas. And we're like, well, we'll consider what the spring looks like. But, um, wow. And- so it's, <laughs> it's fun because I'm seeing this trend of adults uh-huh. saying, I want to make connections with people through enjoyment. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like that has been such a big theme for me thinking about all of this is what we get out of these communities that not because our families or our work life are, are negative in any way, uh, but it's something else. It's chosen friends. It's your playground friends. Um, mm-hmm. that's a different thing than just the people you have to sit next to at work or <laughs> go to happy hour right. to go networking. <laughs> um, this yeah. Is like important. there's, there's this different commonality mm-hmm. that binds you together mm-hmm. and it's one you've chosen. Yes. Uh, you know, family is blood and you're yeah. put together. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, coworkers are assembled by your HR team. <laughs> yeah. But with, but with like you're pursuing your, your interests and your passions, but not letting that be the sole defining interaction you have with people. Yeah. You add this very complex and multi-leveled flavor to your life. Emails. I shouldn't be eating this. Is this job even going They're going to think I'm such a lucky chicken. Where would they really think of me? Wait! What's real right now?
Today on The Real Right Now, we are going to talk about the final two steps of meditation with rain, investigate and nurture. I'll recap all four steps again, but we're going to dive into what it means to investigate our feelings and learn about the limiting beliefs we might be holding and how they might be holding us back. And then at the end, learn how to nurture ourselves and fall in love with ourselves. So again, before I start, I need to say that I am not a mental health professional. In the real right now, I'll just be sharing tools and tips that are helping me along the way with links in the show notes to books and teachers that I've learned things from. So here is a recap of all four steps. First, R, recognize your feelings. Next, A, allow or accept that this is just how you feel. We talked a lot about that last week. The letter I is for investigate. What do you notice? What do you think these feelings tell you about what you believe about yourself or others? N is for nurture. If you are sharing your feelings with a wise friend or mentor who loves you unconditionally, what do you think they would say to you? What would you say to a friend you love unconditionally if they were in your position? So that's meditation with rain. And again, I will let you know that if you like these four steps and would like a printable page to keep in your journal as a prompt or to use in meditation, um, pick it up at playgrounding.com slash 44 at the top of the page. You don't have to sign up for anything. Just grab it and go. All right. So I for investigate. This step could open up a big conversation. Um, it's a lot deeper than I could probably go. And I'm not the right person to go deep on it, again, because I am not a mental health professional, but I do have some people in mind that I'm going to be asking to talk about it in an interview. So hopefully we can get that going. But we can get a lot out of Meditation with Rain by getting familiar with the basics. So I read another book to introduce me to this, but I really love the description in Dr. Amen, Dr. Daniel Amen. I think that's how you say his name? He has a book called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. And in his book, our limiting beliefs, which is what we're going to talk about today, um, are called automatic negative thoughts. Ants for short, which I love. It's a funny way to remember them. And I love his description um, because it helps me to remember they're automatic, which means I didn't ask or conjure up, ask for, I didn't conjure up these thoughts. They're just springing forth automatically, like it or not. And they're negative. They're causing havoc. They're making emotions that I don't necessarily love. So last week, um, we talked about how important it is to remember that our emotions don't care about us. If we just want to recap that, they just are. They aren't true or false. They're not trying to tell us something or show us some new truth about ourselves or the world. They're just like an itch. Sometimes you have an itch for no good reason. Sometimes you have an itch because you have a mosquito bite or we're an itchy fabric and you can point to it and go, that's why. But sometimes you have a deeper problem like the chicken pox. Um, no matter where your itch came from, scratching it can always do more harm than good. So we can control how we react to our emotions and they can either these reactions can either help us or lead us into deeper problems. So just being able to really be mindful of how we respond to our emotions, don't let them control our lives. But we all know that denying the existence of our emotions is never a good thing because they did come from somewhere and often they come from limiting beliefs that we're holding about ourselves or others. And these beliefs can hold us back from being truly in the driver's seat of our own lives. So it's important to identify these emotions and understand 
maybe do a little investigation about where they came from. So here is an example um, I'm going to use from my own life. And it's a little embarrassing, but I figure it's easier than just describing it. <laughs> um, and I'm using the one that's the least embarrassing because I don't want to get too weird here. I'm only on my third episode in. Um, but yeah, so my first aunt that I identified for myself had to do with my feelings that everyone around me was judging me or felt sorry for me. Yes, I was, <laughs> I had started reading the book. I was reading a book called You Are Not Your Brain by Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz. And I was working at the library at the time when I read this book. And so I remember that because I was kind of thinking about this stuff and trying to really watch myself and go, what might my aunts be? I don't know what they are. And while I was at the checkout desk, I checked out a book to someone. And while I was doing it, I made some minor mistake. It was not a big deal. But I became very exasperated and upset with myself. I was so embarrassed that I made a mistake in front of this person who was checking out a book. <laughs> and I just remember thinking that I am a complete loser and that library patron is just laughing at me and I am such an idiot. And if you think that's an exaggeration, you're absolutely right. I did, I did too, um, because I was actually in a mindfulness place thinking about these things at the time, but I, I noticed it. I noticed that I felt that way. And I just started reading the book and it, they, it actually asked us to identify physical feelings that go along with our anxiety and stress. And I noticed the heat on the back of my neck. I noticed that I'd clench my jaw. And as he was walking out of the library with his book, I was just like, he thinks I'm such an idiot. <laughs> so I was like, this is crazy. Well, I don't want to use the word crazy, but I just, I just was like, yeah, that's not okay. I think that's an ant. I think that's a false brain message that I need to learn to understand. Um, so I decided to keep observing over the next few weeks. I figured out there were other examples like going to a party and seeing people that I would shrink from. Like I just would be afraid to talk to people. And then I realized, oh, I'm assuming that woman feels sorry for me. Um, and in another case, another woman, I just thought, well, that woman thinks I'm a horrible person. Why? I'm not sure, but I was absolutely sure that that person thought I was a horrible person. And like, it, it was just like when I really started paying attention to those kinds of things and really like just listening to myself, tell myself this story and going, oh my goodness, like this is actually a thing. This is a, this is a problem. <laughs> and I became... I came to understand that these were automatic negative thoughts. They were ants. I wasn't asking for them. They were things that I was finally starting to observe. And this was my first one that I really tackled, um, that I took some time to really like just go through the days of the week and just kind of like notice every time it happened. The physical sensations would happen. I would, whenever I'd be around people and I'd have strange feelings, I'd be like, oh, it's happening again. It's happening again. Um, it was fascinating. It was really, really fascinating. And as I'm reading and learning about ants, I learned that the one that I was having, and there are many, many different types of ants, and maybe I'll put something on the website for that as well. I think I will. Um, I have a, a handout that I got in a class, but the website is no longer, no longer has the webs has the handout. So maybe I'll just like kind of recreate it. It's kind of a universally kind of thing, but I'll put that on the website as well. Um, I learned that the ant that I was experiencing is called jumping to conclusions. 
And there are two types of jumping to conclusion. One is called mind reading, which is the one I was doing, imagining I know what others are thinking. The other is fortune telling um, or or predicting the future. And that's one that I'm also really, really good at or have been. Now, over time, it's it's one thing to notice that these feelings are there, but then investigate. It's about investigating. It's about learning and figuring out, hmm, I wonder where these came from. Um, when I really thought about it, I realized it made absolutely all the sense in the world. I'm a preacher's kid, and I grew up in a very conservative evangelical church, and with the way that our church was set up, the board could vote the pastor out at any time. And I had heard horror stories as a kid of preachers' kids who got into trouble. And I have no idea to this day if it was true, but I heard that a kid, and I heard this from other kids, not from any adults, um, but I heard that a kid got a girl pregnant and then his dad lost his job. His dad, who's a pastor, lost his job. Now, that is totally plausible in that world. Absolutely. Um, and I loved my family and I never ever wanted to be seen as a troublemaker or a rebel in any way, but I always felt like I was, you know, somewhere deep down, I knew I was bad and I would eventually come out and I would be judged. And so would my entire family and the world would all come crashing down around me. And yeah, you know how it goes. Um, teenage minds, you know, Um, So, of course, I was hyper aware. I was hyper aware of others, especially around church. Um, I was always trying to predict what their opinions of me might be. And it made perfect sense. And, you know, fast forward to my adult years, just about a year before, a year or so before I was sitting in the library, assuming that this man was, you know, judging me. um, I had been shamed by the last church that I ever attended. And... I had led music for them. I was very much a part of them. Um, And I started dating a non-believer and it was not my imagination. They did that, you know, maybe the the library guy was my imagination, but this wasn't. They let me know in no uncertain terms that they deeply disapproved of my life choices. And I had to choose between them and the man who is now my husband. And that was the last in a long line of these types of struggles that I had with judgmental attitudes in the church. And the older I got, it was harder and harder to color within the lines and not just be done with this whole thing. Um, But it was hard because when you grow up in that environment and you have your reasons for being there and and it feels like that's normal life. Um, But yeah, so when I really started investigating, it all made sense why I was you know, worrying so much and, but just identifying it. So now I've completed, I, you know, I figured it out. Here's a weird behavior, a weird time when I get an emotion that kind of doesn't make sense. It's kind of out of sync with reality. Um, what is the ant itself? I'm mind reading, um, assuming that I know things about other people's brains that they don't, why would I feel that way? And then here's where nurture comes in. Um, because living inside of the kind of moment when those things happen to you, it feels very automatic. That's why they're called automatic, um, negative thoughts. They just happen. Um, and in those moments, especially if you're reacting to the thoughts and you're having emotions that are around those thoughts, it can be really hard to have self-compassion. So hearing the negative thoughts, they make me want to hide. It made me want to, it made me feel ashamed. Um, and it made me feel so much worse about myself and even, the act of discovering and recognizing those things, it was hard, you know, going, oh, wow, yeah, this is something that my brain has been working on for a really long time. But I immediately had to switch into nurture mode. And 
That is step four, N. And I imagine someone who loves me unconditionally, what they would say to me in moments when it's hard to imagine loving myself, you know. Um, And that was actually a problem because if I had to imagine someone who loves me unconditionally and put myself in their shoes, if I was feeling unloved or unlovable, I figured out that I could switch it around. I imagined someone who I loved unconditionally coming to me with the same story. And I imagined what I would say to them. And I said to myself something like this. I used to journal this. I didn't want to pull it straight from my journal because that just felt weird. But I would say something like, of course you're afraid. The stakes felt very high for a child to have to deal with. And you thought you could single-handedly get your father fired if you made a mistake. And you were always trying to stay a step step ahead of people who might be judging you. And those people in that last church and a lot of people in the church over your life, they did judge you. And, And this last time around, they didn't even take the time to get to know your future husband before they demanded that you throw him out of your life. That's not okay. And so you have every right to be scared and careful because you don't want those kind of people in your life anymore and you just had enough you had too many of them you made the right choice for you and you you stuck with your guns and that's good but now you're not in that environment anymore and every person you meet now they have their own insecurities they deserve to be known for who they really are just like you do they deserve grace just like you did and they don't even know you. They probably haven't even begun to form an opinion about you at all. So get to know them. Don't judge yourself for carrying these beliefs around all these years. Those beliefs, they started as an intention of trying to protect yourself, of trying to protect your family. Those beliefs were not the enemy. They were just going about it in an unproductive way. And now you're turning it around. And now you're going to give people a chance and you're also going to have stronger boundaries so that those things don't happen to you anymore. So I started getting to know these people and over time, that particular aunt really stopped biting me. It, it reared its head, you know, once in a while, but I'd identify it really quickly and I could switch right into nurture mode. And what used to be a barrage of negativity when I would meet new people, it's pretty much silent now. It's been a couple of years now since this, and I discovered there were a lot more ants. Um, I've been working on them. My big one right now is the shoulds, and I think that we'll be spending real right now talking about some of these ants as we go forward. So yeah, that is Meditation with Rain. Now, I really encourage you to just really dig into it because the way it happens now when I identify something, it used to take me so long just to identify the feeling. And then it took me so long to sort of do the investigation. But lately, it feels like there's almost a shorthand where I can switch into nurture pretty quickly. And I never had the ability to do that before. This trained my brain to compassion. It trained my brain to love myself in ways that I had not been able to before. So I hope you enjoy Meditation with Rain.
Thanks again for listening. You can find the show notes and downloads at playgrounding.com slash 44. Be sure you don't miss an episode and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or leave a review and help other people find us. Thanks and have some fun today, all right? Get out there.